Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we are in week nine of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today we are focusing on one question, and it is question number 26. Now, it's just one question, but it is a very important question because this particular question aims to put into words what we believe about God the Father. And I'm going to let a a quote from A.W. Tozer help us understand just how important this particular subject is. Here's what Tozer said in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on saying, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. The quote goes on. He says, For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most crucial fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Always the most revealing thing about us is our idea of God. That's a wonderful quote, and it sets up this discussion today. But I want to set it up a little bit differently. Just to piggyback off of what Tozer has said, one thing that we understand is that all human beings have this deep inner sense that God exists. I mean, every civilization from the dawn of human history until today has some notion, some idea about God. The Bible tells us that the reality of God is actually both written on our hearts And it's written in the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God. What can be known about God is plain to us through the things that God has made. And our conscience reveals the presence and justice of God. But one of the results of sin entering the world is that instead of embracing that inner sense of God, we reject it. Rather than honoring God, we reject Him and we worship and serve ourselves. And in some cases, man's rejection of that inner sense of God becomes complete, and the result is the denial of God altogether. The psalmist talks about this in Psalm 14.1, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And the psalmist calls this person a fool in part because in order to arrive at his or her atheistic conclusion, they must first deny one of the strongest universal impulses of humanity, which is that there is a God. And in some way, we are answerable to him. But there is a huge gap between that inner sense of God and actually knowing the one true God. The spirit of our own culture is not one that tends to promote great thoughts about God. And and Tozer picked up on that. Even in the church, there is this tendency for us to have great thoughts about man, but not great thoughts about God. And one of the results is that our concept of God is not shaped by the Bible, but it's shaped by our own human instincts. However, when we look to the Bible, it tells us that there is one true God and we can know him. In fact, he wants us to know him. Jesus prayed in John 17. He prayed to the Father this way. He said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
You see, God has revealed himself to us, and he has revealed himself to us through his son and through creation, but also through the word, the Bible. He wants us to know who he is, and he wants us to know what he is like. He wants us to understand why he does the things that he does and what it means for him to do the things that he's done. He wants us to know him as he is and to love him, not based on what we feel, but based on what we know is true of our God. And that is why today's question is so important. And it piggybacks on what we've looked at the last few weeks. Here's the question. Question number 26. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Now, this is what we said when we were looking at the Apostles' Creed, that we believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Well, here's the answer that Heidelberg gives us to question 26. We believe that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ, his Son. I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful Father. End of the answer. Wonderful statement about the nature of God and what we believe when we talk about God as our Father. And this is a very rich answer. And I think the best way to look at it is to break it into different parts and look at those different parts individually, one at a time. So let's start with one of those first statements. The first statement is that uh, God is our eternal Father, the Lord, uh, and, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible doesn't begin by giving us uh, like this basic introduction to God as the main character of the book. Right? It, it, there is no philosophical explanation for his existence. There, there's not like an introduction where we get a theological description of God's nature. Instead, the Bible assumes the existence of God uh, and begins to operate from page one with this understanding that God exists and that God has existed from before the beginning of all things. In other words, the Bible uh, understands that God exists on his own, independent of everything, outside of space and time, with a wisdom and power and authority that is unmatched. God is eternal. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this about God. He said, he exists forever and he is always the same. He does not grow older. He does not gain new powers or lose the ones that he has. He does not mature or develop. He does not get stronger or weaker or wiser as time goes by. God simply is and he has always been. He is our eternal father. Now, the second statement tells us that not only is God our eternal father, but God created everything out of nothing. And once again, the Bible helps us to grasp this work of God. I told you already that the Bible assumes the existence of God. Well, we, we see that in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The idea is that there was a time um, that, that began to exist, that there was a, a space and time was created. And prior to that point, that beginning, God simply was. 
But when he created everything that is, he created those things out of nothing. It wasn't God plus a whole bunch of stuff out in the universe. There was no universe and there was no other stuff. It was simply God. And God alone, out of nothing, created the heavens and the earth. Now, when little children begin to ask big questions about God, they will often ask where things come from. And and as good parents, we'll try to answer them in a way that they can understand. Um, For instance, the, the Baptist catechism that we teach our children, it begins with this question, who made you? And the answer is, well, God made me. We understand that we exist, therefore something made us, someone made us. We came from something. We have this basic understanding of cause and effect. But the next question is, well, what else did God make? And the answer is, God made all things. And I don't know about your children, but my children and and many children throw in an additional question to that. But, But Daddy, who made God? If God made me and God made all things, who made God? This is the great question. And it is a very natural question because even at a young age, we understand that principle of cause and effect. If something exists, it it exists because someone made it. But when we trace the chain of cause and effect all the way back to the very beginning, we come to God and there the chain ends. God creates, but he wasn't created. God makes, but he wasn't made. God simply is, and he has always been. There was a time when the universe did not exist, but there has never been a time when God did not exist. He is the universal, eternal creator. And the third statement tells us that not only is he eternal, not only does he create everything or has he created all things, but he also upholds and he rules over all those things by his eternal counsel and providence. Philosophers have argued around and about with the nature of God or deity. And and here's the reality. God did not simply create the world and let it float away out into the universe to do its own thing. He is providentially, actively involved in the events of human history. He is actively involved guiding those human events, and he is actively involved as Lord over human hearts. So much so that he can say that the, the heart of the king is in his hand, and he turns it whatever way he wishes. He's not a watchmaker that put everything together, started it up, and then let it go. He is providentially or actively involved in the events of his creation. That's the third statement. Fourth statement is that this is my God and Father because of Christ, his Son. So when Christians talk of God, we're not speaking of him as this far-off deity. We're talking about him out of a relationship that we have where we can call him Father. And he is our Father uh, because of what Christ has done. And what Christ has done defines us because we believe in him and we have turned from our sin to follow Jesus as Lord. So, uh, all the statements that I just made there, they come to this conclusion. There is a sense in which God is the Father of all humanity, in that he is the creator of all humanity. But there is also a sense in which God is not the Father of all. He is only the Father of those who believe in Jesus Christ and have Jesus as our brother, according to Hebrews chapter 2. We are God's children because we have been born again and adopted as his sons and daughters by faith in the work of his Son. Now, fifthly, 
We call him Father, which means that we can trust that he will provide whatever we need, body and soul. That, that goes along with uh, the relationship that we have with God as our Father. And it's Jesus, really, who teaches us this directly, but we see it somewhat indirectly. Uh, Jesus teaches us that we shouldn't be anxious about life, but that we should trust that our Heavenly Father knows our needs and that He will care for us. He sustains the earth. He takes care of the birds of the air. He takes care of the flowers of the field. And He will certainly meet the needs of His children by faith, both body and soul. Um, I'm thinking about uh, Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus explains this whole thing and he says basically you should just look out at the world, look at what's going on and you shouldn't be anxious about life. You should be uh, conscious of the fact that your heavenly father is a provider and he will certainly provide for his people. Not just body, but also body and soul. Now sixth, We call him Father, trusting that he will turn to good whatever adversity he sends our way. Now, some of us know this in practice. We've seen God take the difficult circumstances of life and and bring something beautiful out of it. Uh, But we mainly learn this fact uh, from Scripture, and we only see it in hindsight in life. Because in the midst of going through some difficult adversity, we don't have always some great end goal in mind. We're just trudging along, hoping and praying that God will bring something good out of it. But it's in Romans 8 that we see that, well, actually it's in Romans 8 that we're told that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So for those who love God, for those who know him as Father through faith in Christ, God will never leave us. He will never abandon us. He will even work out the bad things of our life for our good. In fact, all things will be worked for our good. Uh, Now, there's a quote from Kevin DeYoung from his uh, book that we've been working through, and he says this, as a result, trust, therefore, doesn't mean hoping for the absence of pain, but believing in the purpose of pain. And then the final statement, the seventh statement, why can we have this kind of trust? Why can we believe that God is going to turn even adversity into something good? Well, we can have this confidence because we know that he is an almighty God. In other words, he is capable of doing everything, anything that he wants to do. But we also know that he is also a faithful father and he loves his children and desires to give good gifts to them. So this is a wonderful statement about our God, a wonderful statement about his, our relationship to him as Father, um, about our understanding of him as the eternal creator who accomplishes his purpose, is still accomplishing his purpose, who will provide, who will turn even the bad things in our life for good because he is almighty and he is faithful and he is our Father. So take some time to read over this, think over this, meditate on it, and just be encouraged by it. Thanks for joining me again today for this installment of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. I hope that you'll join me again next week as we look at Lord's Day 10 together and discuss questions 27 and 28. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBCWiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.